You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Bert. I'm David and worship team. Thank you for being here this morning. So glad that you're at Grace Community Church this first Sunday of Advent. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here. I, I wanted to just clarify, not clarify really, but just make sure you understand the services in December. Next Sunday, December 10th, which will be Redeemer's first Sunday in their building. I'm really excited for them. Uh, that day, we will have our Christmas program, children's Christmas program. It's the same service Sunday morning and Sunday night. So you can come either one. Three uh, on, on next Sunday, either the morning or the evening service, they're both the same. But then on the 17th, 24th, and the 31st, we will be having one service at 10 a.m. here, and there will not be an, a corresponding evening service. It's just one service. But it happens to be, the 24th happens to be on a Sunday so we'll have a Sunday morning service, then our Christmas Eve service. Those will not be the same service. Those will be two different services. So now I'm sure that's as clear as mud. Let's move on. Get into the Word. Well, I remember anticipating Christmas as a child. I mean, I loved it. One of the legends in our family is at one time, one of the... That gifts was torn, and I said it just peeked out at me. I didn't do it. The, the, the gift peeked out at me. Um, but I, I don't know whether I love the anticipation of Christmas Day more than the actual day of celebration itself, but I loved everything about it. My grandmother in Enfield, North Carolina, would make very certain that my sister and I, my sister Nan and I, were always anticipating something going on. She would tell us, you better go check the back porch. Santa might have left something. And more often than not, he had left something. And it was, I don't know, I, I don't know, it was a little confusing to me. It was kind of things that older people would like, you know, like oranges and nuts in, in the, that you had to crack open and eat. But, but nonetheless, uh, there was plenty of evidence. Do you love Christmas? Or are you like that song, I just go nuts at Christmas, you know, I can't wait for it to be over. But I love Christmas. The Christmas season is in full bloom now that Thanksgiving has passed. And today marks the beginning of many things here at church. In addition uh, to um, moving to one service next week, this is family worship month, which means we'll have a lot of children in here uh, and beginning Next Sunday, one service. Children will have work to do. Teenagers will be glad to be with their friends. And, and, and adults will be trying not to think about the brunch that they're going to have after the 10 o'clock service. It, it is important for us to remember, though, that we're not celebrating the Christmas season as such in our church services, as wonderful as this time of the year is. We are celebrating Advent, which begins this morning and culminates with our Christmas Eve service. Advent is from the Latin word adventus, which means coming or arrival. 
During Advent, we recall Jesus' first coming and we anticipate his second coming. Fleming Rutledge points out that Advent begins in a dark place. And we sense the silence of God. There were approximately 400 years between the last writings of the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus. And the people who were used to consistently hearing from God through his prophets, which became, those teachings became the word of God, the writings, the law, the poetry, the writings, historical accounts, were left with the silence of God. And God's chosen people were wondering if God had forgotten them. Where was the promise of a Messiah, a deliverer? Was there still hope? Yes, there was hope that the Messiah would arrive, and arrive he did. But he did not come in the package that most people anticipated, and thus they missed it, even the most religious people of the day. Everyone recognizes that there's something special at this time of year. I mean, we're decorated here at church. Beautiful decorations, by the way. And thank you, those of you who did that a few weeks ago. I imagine most of you have some level of decorations inside and outside of your home. So I need to ask a question. How do you feel about blue as a Christmas color? No, wait. See how easy it is to get off track? I mean, we're just thinking about Christmas when we ought to be thinking about Advent. Israel was waiting for a Messiah, but the nation didn't realize what sort of Savior they needed. Boy, that sort of feels like today, doesn't it? Everybody's looking for a Messiah, but people don't know the Savior that they need. They want someone to help them feel secure, someone to lead them and take care of them. But we all know the fallacy of putting our trust in humans. And that would even be true of believers were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, Jesus, of course. And it's for his return that we wait and believe. This morning's Advent text is not one you might anticipate. Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. If you are familiar with Hebrews 11, you know that this chapter is about faith. Our hope in Jesus' return cannot be separated from faith, of course. Look, I've had many conversations with people over the last several years, many conversations, a lot of whom believe that somehow the universe is looking out for them, but they do not believe in a personal God. And when I'm like, they're like, really? You don't get that? I'm like, no, I don't get that. Time and again in these conversations, two realities are greatly reinforced in my heart and mind. 
repeatedly. First, without faith, there are no lasting answers for anything in life. And at some point, everyone is going to need answers. That's why people talk about, well, I have faith. Well, you say faith in what? Well, just faith. You know, I have faith. Second, the Christian worldview is the only worldview that encompasses all of life's issues, even when the only answer is to trust a sovereign God who is good to his people. But I can assure you, if you get to that point, you will eventually get to the place where you trust a sovereign God who is good to his people. I hope this morning that God is going to strengthen your faith with his word. And I also hope that our time together will help you to share Christ, equip you to share Christ with unbelievers that you encounter at this wonderful time of the year because people are open at this time of the year. Satan is a great imitator and a distractor. And he's like, no, 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 this is what it's all about. But when you have conversations with people, and I mean conversations, not witnessing opportunities, not witnessing encounters. Have conversations with people. Listen to them. Sit with them in their time of waiting and their suffering and their pain and their uncertainty and wondering how this is all going to work out and does God really care. Sit with them in that. Then begin to point them gently to Jesus, to the word of God that points to Jesus. And he is the word, right? We're going to read our text both now and at the end of the message, just before we come and take our place at the Lord's table. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, ex nihilo, out of nothing. God created all of our creation, AI, everything. It's all out of things that already exist. By faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was found, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to believe him, to please him. I'm sorry. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events 
as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by the way, that's when you construct an ark is when God tells you to construct an ark. Otherwise, uh, don't do it. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Be seated. Well, almost eight and a half years ago, I can't believe it's been that long. Almost eight and a half years ago, I began a Sunday morning series in the book of Hebrews that covered 44 Sundays. Why so much time in a complex book like Hebrews? Well, for starters, when you understand the book of Hebrews, you know how the Bible works. You a lot of people come to the scripture and they start reading and things don't make sense because they don't understand how the Bible works. Well, a study in Hebrews takes you everywhere in scripture and it opens your eyes to how God designed this life, creation, eternity, judgment and life. It's all there in Hebrews 11 and Jesus is right at the center of it. Hebrews 11 is likely the most familiar portion of the book of Hebrews. Now, you've probably heard Hebrews 11 described as God's hall of faith. I'm not really crazy about that title. I mean, Hebrews 11 can be a forest and the trees kind of thing. When someone says, I'm afraid you can't see the forest for the trees, it means that you've become so focused on the details that you miss the bigger picture. You can do that in Hebrews 11, focusing only on the ones whose faith is commended. If that is your primary focus, though, you might have a little bit of trouble when you get to Samson and Jephthah. Jephthah, of all people, was commended as a person of faith. At the same time, we can miss the trees for the forest. We can be so focused on the big picture that we miss some of the beautiful details that are written for our benefit. There are big ideas in Hebrews 11 as well as great individual examples of God's work. And here are some of the ideas that we will encounter in Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. First, the faith described in Hebrews 11 cannot be separated from the teaching about the death The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God described in detail in Hebrews 1 through 10. Now, that may seem a bit suspect when you consider the fact that the men and women listed as in Old Testament um, lived before Christ. And it's not, say, Fairly frequently, it's not that the Old Testament saints were looking forward to to the cross, but God was looking forward to the cross. That's what Romans 3.25 tells us. The faith to which the writer of Hebrews was pointing was based on the gospel story. So it's written to us, Hebrews is written to us as believers, and it's based on the gospel story, Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension is taught in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. Second, therefore, our faith is only as meaningful as the object of our faith 
is faithful. If God is not reliable, then our faith is meaningless. I think maybe one of the saddest things that I've concluded, I, I've often, I've long, you look at the book of Proverbs, it, it's kind of instructions for life, instruction for life. And anybody who lives according to those principles um, <clears throat> will be successful, more successful in life. I tell unbelievers all the time, look, you need to be a generous person. Whether you believe in God or not, whether you buy into this tithe thing or not, if you are a generous person, you'll be blessed in life. Those who give, receive. Those who are stingy, get withheld from People withhold from them. It's just the way the universe, if you, if you must say that. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't believe in God, the truth and the beauty and the, and the benefits of Scripture only will take you so far. And our faith is only as meaningful as the object of our faith. Why do we believe? We just do. Because God is in the middle of our faith. Every believer can testify to God's faithfulness to his promises in his or her life. But even so, we're not going to fully see our reward until heaven. Faith in Hebrews, faith and, 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 and hope in Hebrews are closely related and hope is wrapped up in eternal life with Jesus. Not so much that, that the, hope, the hope that this life will get better, although it often does, as we pray and as time moves on. But it's not promising that life is going to get better. The last big picture truth we want to think about this morning is this. God's word always accomplishes the purposes for which it was intended I think I missed one. I did. I'm so sorry, Dale. That is my fault. In fact, 20 times out of 19, it's my fault. Um, number three. Let's go to three. Faith is not blind, but the full reward for our faith will only be realized when we die or when Jesus returns. And I've already talked about that. Whichever comes first. So number four. God's word always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended. You know the verse, don't you? From Isaiah 55, verse 11. My word shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. We don't need to live as those who are like, oh no, oh no. This, it seems like we have a sovereign God and his word goes forth and accomplishes what he intended. His design is that our faith is inextricably linked with his word. When God's word is spoken to us, it either brings judgment or life. And life only comes through faith. So again, we'll see, we see all four of these truths being played out in the first seven verses of Hebrews 11. And before we read that one more time, let's think about the advent theme of hope. And Romans 8 verses 18 to 25 will help get our minds around the biblical definition 
of hope. It's not the sort of hope that your team will win or that you'll get an iPhone for Christmas or that the fine lady upon whom you have an eye will turn her eye toward you. To go even further, it is not that you'll be able to afford the house that you want or that you'll be able to get a new job or that you will receive good results from your exam, whether they be academic or medical. It's not that any of these things are wrong, and I, 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 it's certainly true that God wants us to pray for things, that life will go better for us, and he delights in answering our prayers, but that's not the biblical definition of hope. Hope in the New Testament is the expectation that when Jesus returns, we will live with him for eternity. We have to, first of all, believe that he is coming and that we will live with him for eternity. I don't know why, but waiting and suffering in this life are part of the hope of eternal life. I don't know why that is the case, but suffering and glory often go together in the New Testament, and there's purpose in everything. Everything. God's purpose. How many times have you said or thought, I can see no good at all coming out of this? Well, you don't have quite as big a picture as God does. But I messed up. You don't have quite as big a picture as God does. Romans 8, verses 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God. What is that? Look, those who believe that Jesus died for their sins and have given their lives to him are sons and daughters of God. When people say, well, aren't we all children of God? Well, Jesus told the most religious leaders of the day, you are of your father, the devil. Romans 5 tells us that before we come to Christ, we were enemies of God. But when we believe, we are children, sons and daughters of God. And the glory, according to these verses, that will be revealed to and in us. There's debate about that little preposition. And when you think that the glory of God will be revealed in us, it's just mind-blowing. The glory that will be revealed in and to us will occur when Jesus returns. It is that for which we wait. And more than that, it is him whom we long to see. Verses 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the ch- and children, the glory of the children of God. 
Notice in verses 20 to 21 that when Adam and Eve fell, it's implied, it's not stated directly there, but it's implied. Not only did humans fall, but all creation fell because of sin. Now, it was not Satan who subjected the creation to futility. In fact, it wasn't even Adam and Eve. It wasn't humans that subjected the creation to futility. It was God. How do we know that? Because it seems in Congress, sorry, six-year-olds. And, and How do we know that? Because God is the only one who could subject it to futility in hope. In hope that the bondage and corruption will be done away with and obtain the freedom of the children of God, the freedom from the, of, of the glory of the children of God. Do you believe this? Do you believe that one day it's all done and it's eternity of joy and bliss and worship Jesus in person for eternity? Faith and hope are distinguished from one another in Scripture, but they're sort of like identical twins. You know, wherever you see one, you see the other. Your life might be in shambles right now. And, and I would never wish to denigrate your suffering by offering a cheery, you know, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. That would not only dishonor you, but it would... He that sings songs, Proverbs says, to a heavy heart is like one who takes away a garment in winter. It's like it's freezing cold and you say, give me that jacket. That's what it's when you're just saying... All things work together for good. Now, that's a true verse, and we want to use Romans 8, 28, but use it carefully and gently. So, for me to offer you this surface, pious, cheery, everything's going to be all right, would not only be to denigrate your suffering, but it would also be to denigrate the one who has arranged the circumstances in your life, ordained the circumstances in your life, that are bringing you such pain. And I am so sorry for your pain. Many of you are going through the first year of being without your spouse. Some of you, I should say. Others of you have lost people that you love. Others of you are in relational turmoil with people that are very dear to you. Maybe financially, it's difficult. And I am so sorry. And it's not the place where I'm going to say, but everything's going to work out. It might or it might not. But our hope is not based on whether things get better. Either way, whether they do or don't get better, God will receive glory and consistent with his character, the good will be made known to you in his time. In the meantime, perhaps the best we can do is groan, but groan with purpose and anticipation. Verses 22 to 23. For we know 
that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Just think, ladies, of a childbirth, you know, labor pains that long. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even though we belong to Jesus, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. While God does not promise that everything will work out in this life, it often does get better. And we begin to see over time the ways that God has put things together for a better life for us. But he doesn't promise it will get better. What he does promise is that one day it will make sense. The creation understands this, and God's word is given so that we will hope and believe, even in the darkness of 400 years between God's last word to his people in the Old Testament and the arrival of Christ. We long for him to return. Verses 24 and 25. For in this hope, we were saved. The hope of the redemption of our bodies because of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and our belief in Jesus is the only hope we have of salvation. Not our good works, not that it'll somehow we've done enough, but because of what Jesus did for us. In this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For he who hopes for what... For who hopes for what he sees to be like me saying, oh, I just hope John Bart shows up at church this morning. I hope he's, no, he's sitting right there. He's sleeping. No, he's not sleeping. He, he's sitting right there. We, we see it's, it's no longer hope. It's a, it's a reality that John is here in the service. But if, verse 25, if we hope For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I might be hoping someone else will show this morning. But we know how foolish it is to put our hope in people. There may be circumstances beyond their control, or they may have just said, "Ah, I'm not going to go to church today. But, But that's not where our hope is. Was it Kyler, I think, the other day? I meant to check with him before... This service was talking about, um, oh, the Jim, the actor, Jim Carrey, yes. Jim Carrey saying, you know, my hope and wish for everyone is that they be successful and wealthy beyond their dreams so that they can know that that's not the answer. There is nothing in this life that is going to fully, completely meet our deepest desires. If we hope, though, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This life as a follower of Jesus is a life of faith. It is to be lived trusting God's promises in his word. That's the way He's designed it. Well, I need some answers. Okay, but they're probably going to take longer than you want. The more familiar you become with this book, 
the more answers you'll have. Although, it doesn't mean that life is going to now work out. It's not that kind of formula that's in here. Because ultimately, you will realize that it's not about me, but it's about God. But what an incredible blessing that I get to be, by his choosing, a part of his story. This life is to be lived trusting God's promises in his word. When Jesus comes, we will no longer need hope, nor will we need faith. But now is not that time. Now is the time to believe that Jesus will return and that we need to be found faithful when he comes. Would you close your eyes for a moment? This is not the very end of the service. We're close, but I'm not asking servers to come forward. Just in, in the worship team, stay where you are. I, I want us to just sit in the darkness as we wait for Jesus to return. Is it possible for you to imagine sitting with God's people in the 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for a deliverer and your slaves to cruel Roman captors and rulers? Sit in your own pain as well as you wait for Jesus to return. The Old Testament scriptures prophesied that a Messiah would come and the people waited with patience, sometimes more patient than others. And since Jesus' ascension to heaven, we wait for his return patiently. But we don't wait as Old Testament saints waited. We wait with a different sort of hope. Listen to 2 Peter 1.19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Would you open your eyes and prepare your hearts for the Lord's table? While Hebrews 11, 1 through 7 is read one more time in just a moment. As I read, make the connections between our faith and God's word. Which is only one reason that the Advent season will be a time for me encouraging you to get ready to read through the Bible next year. Next year. Oh, but I already did it this year. Yeah, let's do it next year too. Let's do it. Hebrews 11, 1. 
Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Ex nihilo, out of nothing God created. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as, a, as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And when he was not found, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. <clears throat> For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. <clears throat> by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household in obedience to the Lord. That's when you build an ark is when the Lord tells you to, right? Um, <clears throat> by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I'll ask those who are serving in the worship team uh, to come forward this morning. Uh, and as they're coming forward, I want to give a few instructions about our time at the Lord's table. First, you'll be happy to know if you have a gluten allergy uh, that the bread is gluten-free. Second, I want you to know that we'll be serving from the front today. And so there will be four stations, one station in front of each section. Um, ushers will alert you when to come forward and receive the elements. There'll be bread and juice uh, at the same station, two people serving you this morning. And take the elements, if you would, and go back to your seat, and then we will all partake together. Ushers will alert you when to come. You'll come through the interior aisles. You'll go back up through the center aisle and the outer aisles. This meal is intended for believers. So if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then we invite you and encourage you to participate in this meal with us. If you do not trust Jesus as your Savior, if you're just saying, I'm, I'm just thinking about this, you don't have to come forward and just come forward and don't partake. I would just encourage you to be honest with that, though, in your time before the Lord uh, as we come to this table. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray and we will begin coming. But I wanted to read our text at the first this morning from Mark chapter 14. Mark 14 verses 22 and 23. And as they were eating, Jesus and his disciples at this table at the last Supper, the night before he was crucified, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, 
this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So before we come to the table this morning, we are encouraged to examine ourselves. If you have sinned this week, and who hasn't, there's good news. God forgives you. This table is his promise of forgiveness. His body was given, his blood was spilled, so that when we confess our sins, we will be forgiven. Give us just a moment. If you need Thank to you do for a little listening business to audio with from the Grace Lord Community Church, between in North you and Him in your Feel heart to make quietly, copies of this audio content um, to share with others. The time to do but it, please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org. Oh, our sins are forgiven in Christ and have been since we believed. You brought us to yourself in repentance and faith. Even still, we sin. Our feet get dirty and they need to be washed. Not our whole bodies, but our feet, Lord, need to be washed. And we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We ask for your forgiveness for those things that we have done that we ought not to have done and the things that we left undone that we ought to have done. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us. Refresh us. Meet us. And commune with us at this table. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.